and welcome to episode number 104 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about the presidential debate, because I know that's what's on everybody's mind, but I wanted to start out with a story from the past. And this may be something you're familiar with. I was not. There is a documentary on it. There's no doubt the story's been told a bunch of times, but it was something I came across and was unaware that this had happened because it happened back in 1983. So I would have been 13 years old at the time and not really paying that close of attention to the world I was living in. And I don't know if being 13 years old back in 1983, how different that really is from being 13 years old today. I do know that kids that are 13 years old today are much more plugged into what is going on in the world because of these little devices everybody carries around because of the internet, which is a wonderful thing for getting things like podcasts out there and giving people a voice. But I think there comes a time where you're drowned in information overload, where it becomes unhealthy to be as plugged in as people are today. 1983, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. We had to have a landline that they had to run a wire. And if you were lucky, you got your own landline that you could have in your room. But that was the only place you could take phone calls, kids. I mean, you couldn't take a phone call no matter where you were, day or night. It didn't go with you. There was a whole different way of communicating. Newspapers were still respected. Journalists were still doing stories that took weeks, months to make sure everything was right, to line up the sources. They had to have proof before they would go to print. And television news was a thing. You had your hour long nightly news. Cable news back in 1983 was not yet a 24 hour, seven day a week regular thing. The once news network CNN launched in 1980, but for most of us, we didn't have cable TV quite yet. I looked it up. I was trying to remember exactly when cable TV hit my little suburb here in the Chicago area, and I'm kind of basing it upon a over the air subscription service that my parents had, which was called on TV, which was kind of a precursor to cable. It was over the air. And they gave you a little box that descrambled the signal. And that launched in 1977 and closed in 1985. So cable probably came in in that 1984, 1985 range. That's where I was first exposed to things like MTV. But in 1983, the average American didn't have a 24 hour news source. And that was probably a little bit healthier. But you missed out, I'm sure on a lot of stories, a lot of things going on. And this story is one that if it had turned out in a different way, we may not be doing this podcast and you may not be here on this planet if not for the inaction of one particular individual. The political landscape in 1983 had the superpowers of the United States 
and the Soviet Union, who were in the midst of a Cold War. Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States. Yuri and Dropoff, the leader of the Soviet Union. Now, you have to remember that Russia at the time was the evil empire. I mean, some may still think that's going on. Hey, that's up to you. Ronald Reagan had unleashed his Star Wars defense system to shoot down any missiles coming in. And the Soviet Union believed that Ronald Reagan at some point was going to push the button. He was going to start a nuclear war. And of course, the American people were thinking the same about the Soviet Union. On September 1st, 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007, which was traveling to Seoul from New York City via Anchorage, Alaska, made a navigational mistake and they deviated from their original flight plan and ended up flying through Soviet prohibited airspace, which caused a response from Soviet fighters. They fired warning shots, which people don't believe were actually seen by the KAL pilots, and then using air-to-air missiles, shot the plane down. All 269 passengers and crew aboard were killed, including Larry McDonald, who was a United States representative from Georgia, and I believe there were 60 Americans on board the flight. The Soviet Union at first denied any knowledge of the incident, but then later admitted to shooting down the aircraft, saying that it was on a spy mission. So there is no question about it. In September of 1983, tensions were running high. The Soviet Union wasn't quite sure how the United States and Maverick President Ronald Reagan were going to handle this. And they were certainly on edge and they were certainly on alert. This brings us to the Soviet Union, just outside of Moscow on the night of September 26, 1983. Inside their nuclear early warning facility, the alarms started going off. Their computers, I'm sure, were pretty basic at the time. The technology wasn't quite what we have today. And there it was on the screen, the alarms going off. And what was being reported to the Russian officers was the United States had just launched a nuclear attack with five intercontinental ballistic missiles now on their way to the Soviet Union. The officer in charge at this facility was a gentleman named Stanislav Petrov. He was the son of a fighter pilot and a nurse and an officer of the Soviet Air Defense Forces. And it was his job to now figure out what to do. And again, here we are in the middle of a Cold War. The Soviets had just downed a commercial airliner recently, and the world was on edge. They were expecting the United States to do something. And there it was on his computer screen. The United States had launched an attack of five missiles coming at the Soviet Union. The reality, as I said, it was his job to figure out what to do at that point. But in the Soviet Union, the job was pretty much to you get the alert, you pick up the phone and you send it up the food chain. And then they decide what they're going to do with that information. They didn't have computers where everything was all tied in together. 
The higher ups were not immediately alerted. This was the one stopgap involved in this whole system was now on Stanislav Petrov to figure out what it was that was actually going on. Were there actually five intercontinental ballistic missiles incoming or was this just a false alarm? Petrov would say of the incident, quote, there was no rule about how long we were allowed to think. But every second I deliberated, valuable time was lost. He said, quote, I could not move. It was like I was sitting on a hot frying pan. I can't even imagine being in that position, having the responsibility and the literal weight of the world on your shoulders. Again, Soviet Russia, not exactly the place known to be kind to people who don't do their job. We should all be happy that Mr. Petrov was a logical and feeling human being because he said he couldn't make any sense if the United States was going to attack the Soviet Union, why they would only use five missiles. And he was absolutely right, because the reality in a nuclear war is simple. It's total annihilation. One side launches an attack. The other side launches an attack. There is no partial nuclear war. So Mr. Petrov couldn't understand why the United States, if they were going to attack, would only use five missiles. But there he was sitting in his post, watching the screen having the alarms go off, telling him that there were missiles incoming. And again, the technology wasn't quite there to know anything for sure one way or the other, obviously. And he said he picked up the phone. He called the officer who was above him in the chain of command and told him that what they were getting was a false alarm. He said he didn't know for sure that he was correct for 25 minutes when the missile should have been exploding all over the Soviet Union had he been incorrect. So the question became what actually caused the false alarm, and it turned out to be a Soviet satellite who was monitoring the United States. And due to the freak combination of some high clouds, with the setting sun, the sun bouncing off of the clouds was picked up by the satellite as the flames of intercontinental ballistic missile rockets. It's almost impossible to fathom that the decision of one individual back on that night in September of 1983 literally saved the world as we know it literally saved hundreds of millions of human lives or more. And this story was pretty much forgotten about and not told until his chief, Yuri Vatensev, wrote about it in his memoirs 15 years later, at which point Stanislav Petrov was invited to the United States, was honored by the UN with a World Citizen Award, 
and Germany gave him the Dresden Peace Prize. There is a whole documentary which blends in interview with some reenactments that's available on YouTube. Kevin Costner was a part of the project. It's called The Man Who Saved the World. And from the parts that I've kind of gone through and sampled a bit, it looks like a pretty good piece of work. I mean, of course, subtitles don't understand Russian, but there's no question about it. The guy was tortured by what happened, had some family issues with his mother. So, of course, there's a lot of drama thrown in besides the fact that he saved the world from nuclear destruction. But there was a portion that I saw where he was talking to Kevin Costner about this incident. And Kevin Costner said, well, let's just assume for a minute that you were the king of the world, that you could do whatever you want. How would you make things better? And what Mr. Petrov responded, I thought was something that people needed to hear today. First, he said, if I was actually the czar of the world, then I would think about this for much longer before giving an answer, which is a very logical thing to do. There's no knee jerk reaction. We're seeing what's going on in the world right now. What happens when people have knee jerk reactions? And usually it just makes things worse. But he said, quote, we must forget about the past. It's sickening to live in an atmosphere of animosity and old hate. He was, of course, referring to the relationship between the United States and Russia, but it really seems to be hitting home right now with what's going on within the United States itself. Mr. Petrov continued, quote, we have to learn to coexist as brothers or perish like dinosaurs. And he finished it out with some wisdom that was, quote, the best way to destroy an enemy is to make him your friend. That's not what's going on in the United States right now. That's not what's going on with the resist movement. It's certainly not what is going on with the Black Lives Matter global movement. And it starts to make you wonder if Stanislav Petrov saved a world that was just bound to implode at one point in the near future anyway. Mr. Petrov did pass away in 2017, of course, when the United States was in the middle of a scandal about Russian collusion, which the latest intelligence releases now, some unclassified information seems to point to the fact that Hillary Clinton made the whole damn thing up and that Biden and Obama and everybody else knew about it. So there you go. But I thought the story of Stanislav Petrov and what he did on that September night back in 1983 was a story that deserved to be told about one guy who made a huge difference who followed his heart, who followed logic, who refused to blindly take orders and do the job that he should have done, which was to pick up that phone and tell the guys above him that there were missiles coming in, which would have most likely led to the complete destruction and annihilation of the planet Earth. So thank you, Stanislav Petrov, wherever you are. 
It is not an exaggeration to say that every living person on the earth owes you a debt of gratitude, sir. And from that story that should give you a lot of faith in humanity, we need to segue into the presidential debate last night, which kills a lot of that thought. As we have two guys, neither one of them won this debate last night. There's no question in my mind, nobody won this debate. Both sides made some points, but Chris Wallace as a moderator, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. He was unable to keep control of either of the candidates. His questions were absolutely too long, too rambling, never pointed, even though there were a bunch of segments. All of the questions were pretty much exactly the same. I don't know if Chris Wallace has had the top of his head removed a few times or something because he doesn't seem to have an original thought. Every question was, well, tell us how you'd be different uh, than your opponent if um, uh, if you were elected. And then there was a bunch of arguing and rambling. And President Trump came off looking stronger, but he also came off looking like a guy who was a little too much of a bully at a lot of times, interrupting a little bit too much, maybe not interrupting at some points that he should have, oddly enough. And Joe Biden seemed like a guy who shouldn't be responsible for remembering when to take his own medication. I don't think anybody learned anything last night, except that these two guys don't like each other. And I think we knew that already. There were times it did seem, as President Trump said, that he was debating both Biden and Chris Wallace because Chris Wallace stepped in a couple of times to save Biden. The most egregious of this was when Joe Biden claimed that he had some law enforcement organizations that had backed him. And Donald Trump said, really? Name one. And Biden couldn't. And Chris Wallace stepped in to derail this and move on to the next topic instead of asking Biden for an answer, which I have not seen anything in the news about any law enforcement organizations that are backing Joe Biden. This was obviously a Biden gaffe. And Chris Wallace covered for him. It's interesting because nobody on the left or the right seemed to think Chris Wallace did a good job. I'm in agreement with that. He seemed to have no control at all. He seemed to not know where he was going. He seemed to be rambling and he just let the two candidates bitch, moan, talk over each other. And Donald Trump got some shots in. Biden tried to get some shots in. They didn't quite land as well because Biden's going back to the same old tried and true. Uh, He said good people on the Nazi side, which is a total lie. Biden actually said he told people to uh, inject bleach, which is also a lie. This is the one thing I can take away from this, which is when the best thing Biden has to offer are things that have already been proven as lies over and over again. I know he got no plan himself. I know he has no idea what he's doing. He did piss off Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the hard left. There's no question about it because Trump kept pushing him. Well, you can't come out against the Green New Deal. And he got him to say the Green New Deal wasn't his plan, that he didn't support that. And Trump did get him on the ropes a couple of times. Joe Biden, of course, uh, according to reports, had okayed before the debate that 
a third party would be able to inspect both him and President Trump to make sure neither one of them were using any kind of listening devices so they could be prompted during the debates. And according to reports, the Biden campaign at first agreed to that and then backed out on that. And I don't know why you would back out on that. That seems like that would be helpful for both sides. Well, no, not really, because the left knows that Trump can think on his feet. We're not too sure at this point if Biden can think on his feet. Before the debate, Biden went the route of trying to make a joke out of this by posting onto social media the picture of a Jenny's ice cream lid, which is kind of interesting because when the whole Nancy Pelosi let them eat ice cream thing where she showed her refrigerator loaded up with all sorts of ice cream, a vast majority of the ice cream in Nancy Pelosi's fridge was also Jenny's ice cream. And I had never heard of Jenny's ice cream. I looked it up. They do exist here in the Chicago area. I'd never heard of it. It's way too expensive for me. It looks like it's like $12 a pint. So Nancy and Joe like expensive ice cream. And I mean, I'm not going to fault them for that, but uh, $12 a pint. I mean, that's some expensive ice cream. It better be really, really good. But the photo Joe posted was of a lid of Jenny's ice cream and his Apple earbuds saying he's got his electronic devices and his performance enhancers ready for the night. And that would have been a lot funnier, Joe, if you would have actually let somebody inspect to see if you were then using a listening device. You see, the joke kind of falls short when you're too scared to let somebody inspect your person to see if you had a listening device in your ear. And of course, the conspiracy theorists are pointing to little portions of the video where it appears that there might be a wire going down the front of Biden's shirt. Could just be a shadow. I couldn't tell for sure. There was definitely something coming out of one of his cuffs, which there's no good explanation for. Some people are claiming that he always carries the rosary from his son, which if so, that's fine. But it seems like a weird place to have that you know, around your wrist, and then it would be falling out if your hand was pointed downward. This was like the thing still coming out even when Joe was holding his hand up. So I don't know how whatever it was was defying gravity unless it was taped down. And if so, not really sure what it was. I'm sure there will be a lot on the social media looking into that. I'm not that concerned about these kind of things. The question really becomes what last night accomplished. They pushed Trump on his taxes and Trump said he paid millions of dollars in taxes. It seemed like it was more just picking at small little details because Trump has corporations and money comes in. And of course, he doesn't need to pay himself all that money. That's not how it works. If you have your own corporation, it's not like you're working an hourly job. But this is what the left wants to push on. And if that's the best they have, I don't think they have a really good plan. Biden somehow made it through this debate without looking like he was completely befuddled. So on that aspect of it, you know, you have to give some points to Biden 
whether he'll actually show up for the next two debates. There's already people saying, well, that Trump interrupted him so much, we should just cancel the They're looking for any excuse that they can to keep Biden out of the public eye. And I do think that Donald Trump would do much more to help his cause if he would learn how to calm down a little bit and let the facts speak for themselves. Because in a majority of the cases, it seems like Trump has the facts on his side. I know it's hard because the media does lie about him on a daily basis. And this is the way he's sparring back and forth. But I think Donald Trump missed out on letting Joe Biden go and answer questions and bury himself. Because a few times Joe got on a roll, that's when he started kind of having a few little hiccups that I saw. And I think Joe would have buried himself if Trump didn't keep interrupting, which then made Trump look like the bad guy. But I guess the case could also be made if you can't handle somebody interrupting you, then you maybe you shouldn't be the leader of the free world. And maybe you shouldn't have your hand on that button that might cause another one of those nuclear incidents like we had back in 1983. Biden wanted to blame Trump for all of COVID. The reality there doesn't make any sense because Biden called him a xenophobe when he first shut down the flights coming in from China. Everything Biden threw out there did not stick with the sniff test. But Chris Wallace, being a horrible moderator, never once fact checked. Now, that's one place that Chris Wallace should have had some facts, should have been able to say when it comes down to the saying there's fine folks on both sides. Chris Wallace knows the reality of that situation. He knows what Donald Trump actually said, but he refused to stand up and correct that. So I understand why Trump treated it like a free for all, because that is the way Chris Wallace presented it. When it comes to the money that uh, the Biden kid made from Russia, from the Ukraine, it was a valid point. There was a lot of stuff that came out that appeared to be factual about it. Biden just claimed none of it was true. And of course, Chris Wallace had none of the facts, refused to step in on that one. Biden called Trump a clown a couple of times, which I think it makes it a little harder to go up on the high road and say, this guy's, you know, the one that's bad. He's bullying me. Biden was the one name calling never once did I hear President Trump call Biden a name. And that, to me, gives Trump a little bit of the high ground, whether people are going to pick it up and see it that way or not. Again, I don't think this changed anybody's mind on either side. I think this just went a long way to reinforcing what everybody knew coming into this. And I don't really care which side you're on. I don't think anybody comes out of this debate having more respect for either guy. I don't think anybody has more respect for the way we've been doing business in the United States. And I really don't think anybody has more respect for how we are running this election. All of the questions that are out there that seem to be valid ones about mail-in balloting, about changing the way the game is played while it's going on. I do think the best point that Trump made the whole night was when it came down to having his 
Supreme Court nomination by saying, I'm elected for four years, Joe. I'm not elected for three. I don't do the job for three years and then stop because it's an election year. There's still time even after the election, Trump said, rightfully so. You know, even on November 3rd, if it's clear that he lost the election, that doesn't get turned over. This power that the president has doesn't stop on November 3rd. It goes until January. So the concept that we should just shut everything down is idiotic, but that's all Biden had. He wants to shut everything down. He still wants to shut the economy down. He doesn't want to admit that if you look at the statistics on this COVID thing, the death rate is going way, way down. And the amount of damage that's being done to people not being able to go to their jobs, the amount of people who are stuck at home, who are turning to drugs, to alcohol, depression is running rampant. All of these things are a part of the lockdown. And a lot of these things at this point, now that we know more about COVID, appear to be more dangerous than this insidious virus is. So you have to look at this kind of stuff. And Joe seems to be a guy with blinders on who's just going, well, if the scientists tell me to close everything down, I'll close it down. Well, which scientists, Joe? Because you're disagreeing with a lot of the stuff Dr. Fauci says, although you're claiming Trump does. And you're certainly not paying any attention to all of these doctors and scientists who are saying things that disagree totally with the World Health Organization or the CDC. So it's complete and utter bullcrap to say, listen to these scientists like that's just one or two people like, well, we know who we can trust and the rest of the like all these scientists. It's like global warming. All scientists agree. No, Joe, they don't. And I'm not sure Joe even understands that. So we do need more debates, I guess. It'll be fun and interesting to see just how much these two guys can yell at each other. You know, as I've mentioned before, I do another podcast called Grumpy Old Ben's with a guy named Ryan Bemrose. And I used to think that we argue too much on the show. I just realized we're not just doing a podcast. We're campaigning for president. We're doing a debate. That seems to be the exact method that we use on Grumpy Old Ben's. It certainly was the method that Trump and Biden were using yesterday. Maybe those two guys should get together and do a podcast, man. I'd listen to that. That would be entertaining as hell. No moderator, just Biden and Trump jawing at each other. That would be pure gold when it comes to podcast entertainment. And today, I guess, is International Podcast Day. I don't know who comes up with this kind of stuff, but uh, go podcasting. Yay. There's one thing for sure. Most podcasts are better than the mainstream media. We do work on the value for value model, which means we put out these shows. If you get something out of them, no matter what it is, it's up to you to figure that out and give that value back to us in one way, shape or another. And if you want to do that monetarily, you can go to random thoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts dot com. Click the donate button. Join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash random thoughts. You can go to our website and find our P.O. box address, a QR code. If you want to do Bitcoin any which way you want to, there's a way to get some value back to us. And we appreciate everybody that listens and everybody who donates helps us keep the lights on, the microphones humming. 
and everything sounding good. With that said, I want to thank you for hanging out with me yet again here on the Random Thoughts podcast. It is greatly appreciated. We'll be back next week to do it all over again. But until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.